0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Even Baddies Wear Helmets, a podcast about the wonderful world of children's TV and the brilliant people who get to make it. My name is Billy Collins, and we're kicking off the series with an episode I like to call The Bigger Picture. If the podcast was a heist movie, this would be the montage where we fill you in on all the major players, entrances, exits, and security cameras. Basically, before we get down to details, we're going to talk more generally about the landscape for children's TV in the UK. We'll cover some of the concepts that productions have to grapple with. We'll look back at how the sector has changed over the past few years and we'll think about where it might be going next. This week, I'm joined by Jackie Edwards, the head of the BFI's Young Audiences Content Fund. The fund was established in 2019 to support the production and development of TV projects aimed at audiences up to 18. Prior to joining the BFI, Jackie was head of children's acquisitions and independent animation at the BBC. Before that, a content manager for CBeebies, and before that, a freelancer working on a whole host of children's shows, from Octonauts to The Clangers. If anyone is going to help us get to grips with the bigger picture when it comes to kids' telly, it's Jackie. Uh, For a bit of context, we recorded this episode the week that the US Capitol building was being stormed by Trump supporters, so later on when you hear Jackie referring to the importance of reliable news outlets and the situation in America, that's where we were up to. I think I've probably witted enough, so let's get to it. Jackie. Hello, Billy. How are you doing? I'm very good, Billy. How are you? I'm all right. I'll jump straight into it. So, um, you're now head of the BFI's Young Audiences Content Fund. Um, Was working in children's television always your goal, or was it something that you kind of fell into? Because you've been doing it for quite a while. Uh, Yes.
1: Thanks for pointing out my age, (laughs) Billy. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a really funny career. I um at school I went to um a comprehensive school in Port Orbit in South Wales alongside Michael Sheen and Bennett Aaron and various other sort of (laughs) celebs um but um my passions at school were always art and English but um you know as one of my careers teacher says you know what would you possibly do with a degree in English um so I ended up doing science and uh I went to King's College in London and I did pharmacology and then I did postgrad research at Guy's Hospital Medical School. Um, and then I was working, doing um, uh, research in, uh, in Edinburgh uh, at a pharmaceutical company and I sat in a dark room on my own all day. A friend of mine from college came to stay for the festival and I was moaning because I like a moan and um she was like, come and work in the media darling you love it and I was like I sit in the dark room anyway nothing happened for a while and then she rang me out of the blue one day and she said look we need a PA for six months we're doing an animated special for ITV do you fancy it and I said well I don't know <laughs> so she'll come and meet the director see if you get on anyway we and in a chat it was fine so I thought, well, let's do something different. And, you know, I enjoyed science. I found it really interesting, but I wasn't passionate about it, mm. to be fair. And I think you've got to be to do something like that. And so I thought, well, let's try something different. And, you know, even if if it's for six months, I can always go back and fall back on my career as my grandmother used to drum into me uh, in my youth. And um, so I started at this company. We were setting up a new sort of um, studio for this production. And I just loved it. From day one, I loved it. And I was so fortunate. Um, The company I was with, with Hibbert Ralph Entertainment, was an offshoot of a bigger um, um, commercials-focused animation company. And it was a very small production team. um, And I was a PA. But I was doing so many different things. Runs from the phone to doing the accounts, writing stuff for press release, doing a little bit of editing. Um, I was sort of helping the director, so helping him. Um, prepare animatics and sort of do preliminary timeouts and stuff like that, um, um, helping the art director, being his errand girl. And bit by bit, you learn, I learned sort of so much about the production process um, with obviously a particular focus on animation in that instance. The first show we worked on was a thing called The Forgotten Toys. It was a half hour special with Bob Hoskins and Joanna Lumley and the delightful, gorgeous Andrew Sachs and his daughter, Kate Sachs. And we just had the best time. And oh, um, it was absolutely fantastic. Joanna Lumley sent me a Valentine Carl once. That's going to be my biggest claim to fame. What? I know. No way. Yes, way. And um, did you respond
0: um, or did you just like
1: oh, quietly said, put it in the drawer? <laughs> <laughs> I think our director nicked it off me. Actually, I think it's in his collection. But um, no, she. I'd, I'd sent her a thing, and she sent it back. So thank you. And I was absolutely delighted because she was lovely. Um, So it was fantastic. But from day one, I, this, you know, this is the place, (laughs) you know, this is where I should be because it was that, and it was that then my life from there on in. And, you know, when you love something, you don't mind putting the hours in and the slog and just sort of everything is great and, you know, hard work, but, you know, just you love it. So you don't mind it. Um, And then the rest of the day was history. I, Carried on working at that company for the next eight years and after two years I was producing, which was um, you know, sort of quite a sort of uh quick rise up, but it was a small company, so kind of, you know, great. <laughs> <laughs> and then um the first show I produced won a lot of awards and I thought, bloody hell, this is easy. And um <laughs> and of course it was all downhill from there. Um but yeah, I worked with that company for a long time and then um Uh, I freelanced for, I guess, about sort of eight years, nine years and worked with such a fantastic array of companies and learned so much because, you know, every company is different, obviously. Um, But, you know, just working with fantastic people and doing great, interesting work and varied work as well. Everything from development to sort of doing a bit of consulting to a bit of show running, to raising funding for other shows and trying to secure commissioners uh, commissions for the show. So it was really good varied work. So I am literally a Jackie of all trades and master of none.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. I feel like that's why it's it's so good to have to have you talk about this kind of the the broader picture in terms of children's programming mm-hmm. because you've had such a, a varied experience. So sorry if this is a big kind of question to sort of leap in with as well but um across all of that experience and all those different companies and roles what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen in in the children's television sector oh
1: it's been sort of absolutely monumental I mean sort of after my freelance years I went into the BBC for another 10 years because now I'm really revealing how old I am but um so you know so I went from poacher to gamekeeper so I saw different sides so I through my career I've seen um sort of everything sort of changed from different points of view. And it's been truly fascinating because the shift has been monumental. I mean, when I first entered the industry back in 95, um, it was basically, you know, the terrestrial broadcast landscape was where it was at. Um, Some of the globals had just started sort of opening channels, and Nickelodeon was pretty fresh then and um and Janie grace and disney was would come along shortly afterwards but really it was about the terrestrials but all of the terrestrial broadcasters were doing children's programs um you know the bbc itv channel 4 channel 5 didn't exist then um they were all sort of putting meaningful amounts of money behind productions um and the thing was in the uk and the uk were then but, and still are recognised as brilliant sort of creators of quality original ip mm-hmm. but there were very few producers really in the uk and you know it was i'm not to say it was easy but um you know more opportunity fewer uh, less competition it sort of makes the game a bit easier and then because the uk had this kudos And again, internationally, there wasn't as much competition. It was very, very easy to put funding together for children's shows. Mm. Um, And now um, it's not really quite the case because following on from from the sort of um, introduction of the global broadcasters into the UK market, obviously over time, you've got more broadcasters coming to play. And I think they're sort of somewhere approaching 40, if not more now. I haven't looked at those numbers for a long time. Specialist children's channels available, Um, and they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Um, And obviously, then sort of over the last sort of I don't know eight nine years, you've got um, the streamers coming in. So the video on demand piece has become sort of has loomed much larger over recent years and has become a significant opportunity for funding shows. So what it all means now is, as opposed to then, um, and of course everybody everybody sort of after things like the Teletubbies and the Bob the Builder see the um, commercial opportunity in children's programmes. And so you've got more people coming into the marketplace, Mm -hmm. Um, some with good intentions, others wanting to emulate the success of a Bob the Builder. Um, And, you know, you've got uh, less resource in the traditional television areas. Um, you know, and it must be about 12, 15 years ago, a big seismic event happened in the broadcast landscape in the UK when um, restrictions around advertising of high fat, salt, and sugar um, foodstuffs were put around children's programmes. And simultaneously, offcom relaxed quotas um, for children's TV, which meant right. a big wholesale shift from terrestrial platforms where children's programmes were visible. And free to all onto digital channels. Um, and to the argument being, well, do you know what that's where the audience are. And mm-hmm. um, so you know, I wouldn't call it ghettoizing, but sort of there is a Victorian element of out of sight, out of mind, I think, with kids' shows. Yeah. But,
0: yeah, yeah. but the
1: result is that sort of, you know, for the last sort of 10, 15 years, BBC have been preeminent in that children's sector. Um, and which has been great because they've done a lot of brilliant, brilliant stuff. But you know, even latterly there, there's been a move towards bigger, better, fewer, and focusing on, you know, building brands rather than sort of serving a broad cross section of the UK audience. That,
0: that um, note about branding is something that I find really interesting. Because I suppose there's there's certain uh, concepts or ideas that are specific to the world of. Children's content, not that there's not, you know, branding isn't a concern elsewhere, but just things like imitative behavior or co viewing, stuff like that, that, mm-hmm. that is very child specific. And I feel like it's only in the context of looking at children's programming where I've heard the word brand come up
1: more mm-hmm. and more. It's fascinating, um, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Is there, how much, because it feels like a very cynical thing. Is it's is it supposedly like, oh, you should, you know, there's people who want to just sell a toy, so they're going to make a show to sell the toy, or, I just wonder how much, as as writers or directors, people who might um, who might listen, how much do they think about branding?
1: I think um, writers, show creators. I mean, like children's audiences. There's there's such a sort of spectrum of different things. Children's audiences isn't one sort of thing. It's not an amorphous blob. The sort of mm. the segments of children's audience. If you look at CBBS, which is notionally a preschool channel even within that sort of naught to 6 age group you've got sort of such a wide variety of audience within you've got really teeny tiny littlies and then you've got kids that are sort of starting at school and sort of you know they're programming types within that whole CBeebies block that serve those audiences in different ways Um, Mm -hmm. and I would say sort of similarly like you've got different children's audiences you've got different children's or people Operating differently within the children's sector. There are show creators who are idea generators, and some of them will be coming at it from a kind of um, want to support children's development and support their sort of lives and their mental health in these particular days. They want to help um, reflect audiences, um, they want to tell stories that will resonate with children in the UK. And then you've got sort of other people that really want to build a global brand and stuff that will kind of be the bedrock of a sort of licensing and merchandising campaign. And you know there are virtues to sort of everything on that spectrum one under another. But you know my my heart is public service in nature and sort of um, via very well, very much done one end of the spectrum. And you know I've been fortunate enough to work on some brilliant shows over the years that really do try to do that sort of support and development and reflect uk audiences and speak directly to Mm -hmm. them so you know it's it's sort of there is a rich variety but sort of brand building is sort of something that's more common these days but you know there is still a need and a want for programming that is very domestic um Mm. and you know um Mr. Tumble, I suppose, now is a brand and he's an icon in many regards. <laughs> a rock star. He's an absolute god, showbiz god. Um, but, you know, that, st- that, that wasn't the intention of that show. That was a show mm-hmm. that was sort of um, reflecting and talking to children um, of, of sort of all sorts of abilities and, you know, featured on screen um, children with different uh, abilities and educational needs. And, you know, him communicating with all children through Makaton. Even my mum learned Makaton because she was being a classroom assistant. So, you know, reaching children in a very different way and reflecting children in a very different way. That's, that's how we sort of, um, you know, Mr. Tumble Life started. But now he's such a kind of key part of the CBB's portfolio. And, you know, is, uh, it does a palpably great thing for UK audiences in terms of, you know, reflection and, and reaching.
0: Yeah, it's not quite as clear cut, I suppose, as there are shows that are all about branding and then there are shows that are kind of, yeah, and you know, sort of organic, communal garden, good shows.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think anybody ever sets out to make a bad show. And I suppose yeah. it's sort of, you know, where you're starting your mission, from what point of view. As I said, you know, um, shows like Teletubbies and Bob the Builder became such massive global phenomenons. Um And, you know, I think people that sort of set out to try and emulate that model without really thinking through how those shows started and what they were trying to achieve. Mm. You know, you've got to start with, um, you know, you've got to start in a good place. But, you know, it's kind of a very hard thing in these days to get a children's show up and running and you're pitching against so many um, different competitors. So, you know, it's a different game from when I, when I was a girl, Billy, when I was a girl. And it's true, sort of like, you know, in the, in the early days, lots of opportunity, not much competition. And it's the other way around now, because, you know, globally, there are great producers, you know, it, it's getting harder and harder. Of course, with the different platforms, there are different opportunities um, for shows and the, you know, the, the streamers offer, you know, really sort of good budgets. Um, and so um, you know there's an opportunity there where there wasn't say you know seven or eight years ago Mm -hmm. but they will go tend to go for more internationally flavored shows and I think the real sort of deficit in programming over over the last decade and the the thing that's really suffered is public service broadcast Mm -hmm. that sort of really reflects UK audiences and again you know children's audiences well you no know, everybody forgot about the teens for a long time and i think they are probably having quite a struggle in life you know because the life the world is very confusing i mean before we even got to the bloody pandemic <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was not
0: easy <laughs>
1: no no and i think there are so many sort of um factors you have to um uh, Consider before you plunge into the world of producing for children's TV. Is just like you know, as much as sort of who you're making it for? Is that like why you're making it? What do you want to achieve? And you know, how the hell are you going to get to that point? Um, and it's it's I complex.
0: Like I have a theory that, and this may be completely. Um, I love a
1: theory. Go um, on.
0: Banded. My theory is that people who work in children's television are just uh, nicer than, than normal people. I don't know. I, just everyone that I've encountered um either just like wh- like listening to them talk on tv or on the radio or like via email they're just they're just
1: nice they're just nice people <laughs> well I mean I would obviously concur with that um <laughs> but I not think that you're it's, biased, but... No, no, I think it's true I'm biased obviously but um I think it's true and I think there are many reasons for that and I think if you um get into this field you're sort of um acknowledging the fact that you're not ideally going in it for the money, it's very much a vocation. In a lot of instances, particularly if you're working more down the public service broadcast end, because there's just not enough... It, you know, if you looked at sort of the BBC commissioning tariffs, um, you know, the <clears throat> rate card price for a children's drama is about a third a half of the price for an adult drama, Amazing. even though you're, you, you, you're going to be using the same DOPs, the same production coordinators. And, you know, it doesn't sort of um, cost less money to make a Hetty Feather than it does, you know, another sort of costume drama, really, because you, you need the same things. Um, but, you know, you, you find you've got very clever producers who will find a way around it, cut sort mm. of deals with suppliers to make it work. And maybe they'll just have fewer ponies on Hetty Feather. That's usually the way it shakes down. <laughs> well, like can't. Get rid of that carriage. No more bonnets this week. Um, <laughs> but producers are very resourceful and they'll find a way around it. But I suppose they don't go in it for the money necessarily. They go in it because they've got passion to tell stories to children and young people.
0: touched a little bit on kind of the the importance of public service broadcasting stuff like that. Um can we talk a bit more about the Young Audiences Content Fund or it, is, it, it gets it's yak but I feel is there well, not
1: a, it's, have you moved? it's not the best titled <laughs> fund in the world, I will admit to you, uh and many people remark on it. Um but it's yes the Young Audience's content fund and you know it's a an amazing gift I guess to the children's to children's audiences and production community. Mm-hmm and the government um, decided to create this ring-fenced, um, it's not ring-fenced, but a fund of £57 million pounds over three years to pilot the scheme to support the development and production of brilliant new content for children young people in the UK that specifically reflects their lives, tell their stories, and, you know, it's an opportunity to create content that's for them and about them. Um, not necessarily stuff that will only live in the UK you can be local uh, but still kind of have global themes that will resonate elsewhere but that's primarily our raison d'etre is to tell stories to this country's children but the tangible um, benefits are already being shown in terms of um, all these new IPs being brought into the world great new shows Mm. for young audiences on all of the um in scope channels. Um we're working uh with broadcasters that are free to air Ofcom regulated, um, public service broadcast platforms with significant UK audience reach. And the sort of I suppose the baseline notion is we're supporting great quality that'll be put in safe places. Um because those regulated platforms will be sort of um free from any potential harmful content that, you know, kids and young people might accidentally come across. So Mm That's our mission. Of course, the pandemic did um, sort of slightly disrupt matters last year <laughs> um, and we've still got a couple of shows that are on pause because they are involve complex shoots and with young uh, cast as well. so we're they're just on pause, but the majority of shows have gone ahead and producers have been really innovative in finding good workarounds but you know broadcasts are competing with so many other audio, visual, visual entertainments. Um, So we will see what comes out in the wash.
0: But sometimes drawing on those as well, I guess, I think about, um, I mean, the example that springs to mind and one that I'm just always curious about because I suppose it's kind of, I guess the connection it has to people my age or younger um, with Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, Mm -hmm. which kind of started, I think when that was announced that you were supporting this for Channel 4? Yes, yeah, um, I kind of saw that. I was like, "What?" Because I have, I don't, I can't remember exactly when it. I sort of initially came to be aware of it as as um, something that was on YouTube. I think was yes,
1: songs I- they they did they published like a handful of songs of a very sort of deeply dark but very very funny nature, mm-hmm. and it was literally this this small collection of songs, but it just resonated it's a word i keep on saying to boring effect
0: but <laughs> it's true
1: it, it sort of and garnered millions and millions of views and like literally five or six songs and it was like sort of eight or nine years ago that was published but there's loyal be it, yeah because i remember, remember the was
0: about it i remember people in kind of um like school or on buses being like have you seen it have you seen it like it's really weird have you seen yeah. it that kind of like obsessiveness about it which so I'm just really excited so yeah to see how that that then
1: plays out as a as a full show it's going to be really well outlad- this is the thing taking those characters who didn't resonate so much with audiences taking that those characters with that sort of dark sense of humor and translating that into uh, essentially a sitcom Mm. um and a long-form comedy series and you know so far so good we are really excited you know with with channel 4 you know they the producers will be able to retain that vibe and that flavor and that smell about that show which might have been different if they'd kind of gone um with a different sort of broadcast partnership but it's it's sort of one we're really excited about
0: and as you say that fund that supports not only production but also development so new ideas coming through that that are potentially in much more nascent stages and also yeah. that there's no kind of limit on on what exactly it is um you're looking for in terms of genre or style or anything like that can you t- just tell us a little bit about like what <laughs> it's hard to say there's nothing specific that you're looking for but what are you looking for in an idea what gets you excited if something's to, say for development something was to be submitted
1: yeah. And, you know, as you say, we, we are sort of um, sort of very open door, open mind about the development piece. You know, the, the sort of um, production piece is very much determined by broadcaster taste and tone because the producers have to have that broadcaster commission in place before they come to us for sort of additional funding. But with the development piece, it's very much sort of open season. Um, and I think the things that um excite us are um you know stories that haven't really been told before and be, by dint of the this person that's telling the story being a new voice in the industry that's always great and sort of the way that people come at things differently if they've not sort of done a turn around the children's television garden before mm-hmm. you know you'll come at it with the real sort of freshness of eye and voice. Um, And I suppose, I mean, I've always loved the different when I was sort of working at the BBC, um, uh, working as a buyer, I always loved the things that were different and trying to kind of tell a, a different story, give a different message, do something different to support audiences, or if you're reflecting a different audience. So I suppose is... And again, you know, at the BBC is just like, oh, I've got the new Bob the Builder. And it's just like, well, there's no need for a new Bob the Builder. Yeah. There is a Bob the Builder already. What's what's new? Um, so I suppose freshness of ideas is is always exciting. Um, and you know, addressing an area where there is, you know, not good representation, um, telling a story that needs to be told. Um, and you know, we are really kind of we want to, we want sort of to encourage powerful ta- storytelling we want to encourage the different and I suppose don't hug me I'm scared is an example of that mm. it's it is it is different I think I admit. <laughs> <laughs> but in a brilliant genius way
0: yeah
1: um so I suppose is 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 sort of like we, we we're not sort of usually very turned on, turned on by sort of something that feels a bit more of the same
0: Mm. And what does that, um, um, sorry, that, that that practical development support look like?
1: It's beautiful. Mm. Um, it is uh, literally free money. And it's, uh, for that very reason, been very popular. Um, okay. You know, most development funding you'll get, whether it's from a broadcaster or sort of um, any sort of investor, um, it will usually be recoupable. Um, if you go into production, you pay it back or you will have to sacrifice some sort of rights position if the show goes into production. Um, um, but this fund for the lifetime of the pilot, um, it's non-recoupable money, hmm. and we take no rights position. So the IP um, resides with the producer. And we don't sort of try and snaffle any part of it. So it's the most beautiful money in the world from a development point of view. Um, and, you know, it's been really usefully used I think in the um spread of projects and um where people are sort of conducting this development work around the country i mean literally no part of the uk has been untouched by the fund billy
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've been everywhere that's actually something again that i wanted to to pick up on is that uh, is it 5% of the fund is is specific for work in celtic
1: languages that's right. Um, we want, to, I mean, the original intention was to kind of um, basically do, try and do something for all of the UK. And the Indigenous languages piece is, you know, really important in terms of our cultural lives. And so we've um, always had a, sort of a, a broad target. It's not sort of nobody gets killed if we go enter our over yet anyway nobody's been killed yet um of around five percent to represent the indigenous language broadcasters uh and they've been really enthusiastic um friends of the fund and we did um a really beautiful collaboration um so all of the indigenous language broadcasters got together to co-fund uh co-commission an animated special Um, that went out just before Christmas at the winter solstice, if you will, for all those good Celtic pagans amongst us. (laughs) Um, And they commissioned it um, back in 2019, pre-pandemic. But the themes around it were um, about loss and grief. And it was about a little boy's grief journey after losing his beloved gran. And it felt like such a... um, pertinent horribly pertinent piece for last mm. year we um spoke with the indigenous language broadcasters and they very generously agreed to share that film with the other public service platforms in the uk so we could reach as many children that might be going through their own grief because of the circumstances we find ourselves in and so that was a lovely thing so yes we've we, sorry it was called soul it's probably okay. still available on your airplayer or your uh or you can get it done all four uh on itv hub and my five
0: it sounds fun. i'm gonna go yeah immediately after this that's what i'm doing
1: <laughs> Settling into that. that sounds amazing so you know they've been great and they've been able to make the sorts of programs that they've never been able to do before because of lack of resource s4c mm-hmm. are doing some brilliant teen dramas really edgy stuff really sort of you know, set in sort of little villages in, you know, in the very sort of edges of, of, of sort of um, Wales and telling the stories of lives for people in these very sort of um, socio-economically deprived areas and what that's like. But um, so, you know, they've been able to really um, change the sort of feel of their offer. Um, when, you know, previously they'd been sort of hugely reliant on um, acquisitions and just dubbing other people's stories, as it were, but now the opportunity to tell their own has been absolutely embraced. And that's a fantastic thing.
0: And that, that um, like you say, that that drive to make sure that it, the whole of the UK is represented in lots of different stories, lots of different experiences, uh, are told, you know, people are given agency over over their own stories. And I think I'd, I'd like to ask a bit about... um diversity more generally in children's programming as mm-hmm. well um because it, it seems to me and again this might just be my perception from the shows that i've been watching recently that at least mm. in terms of casting children's tv is is so far ahead in terms of the number of different sorts of people we see on screen um whether that's disability and ability gender race um i wondered is that a fair assessment and I guess, is children's TV doing something right that adult TV
1: is falling behind on? I think historically, and again, without, I would say this, but I think children's television has led the way in so many different ways over time. Mm. Um, and I think diversity is one example of that. I wouldn't say it's you know perfect because mm. I think there is room for improvement. I think that's one of our big missions in the fund i mean it's when on-screen representation is one thing and it's a really important thing but the the more important thing over the longer term is those stories and and getting people to tell their stories and that's where real change will come from um simone Mm -hmm. tennant who runs the tv collective is just like we need our first black led super indie that's what needs Mm -hmm. and you look at the um the, uh, the, the the mixture of people at commissioning editor level and senior management in broadcast, that's where change needs to happen over time because mm. there's such a fundamental importance of, of sort of seeing you yourself on screen mm. um, and sort of going, oh, right, it's not just me that feels like this. I can see that their life is a bit like mine. And I can relate to that. Um, you know, it's like showing those different stories. And I think it's important to sort of, you know, understand the sort of the different and, and beautiful mixture and diversity, whether it's socioeconomic sort of um, or any sort of diversity. We need to see the whole richness of our lives reflected on television. And I think that's mm-hmm. what public service broadcast should do. It should be that this feels like it's for me. So yeah, children's TV has always led the way and I think probably they, um, they've they been doing better and diversity and it's really quite entertaining now um, for a very long time. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier, children's producers have had to be so super resourceful in the way that they do things in order to mm. get a show made because there's just less resource around. And, you know, with commissioning prices becoming tighter for like grown-up telly now, a lot of sort of grown-up producers just going, "How do people do this?" And it's just like, "Well, ask a children's <laughs> producer; they all know." <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's funny, but yeah, no, I think the diversity point is is true because they've been ahead of the game in that mm. regard, and also others. It's I feel I don't, it feels like an exciting time it way. is an exciting time i think there's lots of opportunity um but i still think it's a really really hard business to be in in terms of raising money um uh, i you know i'm so pleased to see that um itv and uh, channel 4 and channel 5 are doing more for young people um and you know their situation has been very difficult since Sort of, you know, advertising revenue has been in decline for a very long time just because of fragmentation of audiences. And so, you know, they've got um, their businesses, their commercial operations, they've got to kind of make sure that, um, you know, they, they earn sufficient revenue from advertising. But you know, I I always believe that um, without wishing to break into song, which I will do <laughs> to absolutely no comedic effect at all. But you know, I do children are the future, right? So yeah. if you're a broadcaster, you want you should be sort of wanting to kind of gain their attention and retain them as as future audience members and and get them to love your know and love your brand as a broadcaster and know that there's a lot of really kind of great, rich, entertaining content for them on their on your platform. And, and it helps people, to, it helps audiences to stick, I think, over the longer term. But, you know, that's a very long game. And I think, um, you know, particularly now, pandemic uh, being omnipresent, it's sort of, I think a lot of people are sort of struggling to see what the future might look like. And, you know, that's when you sort of... Um, you know, I suppose a, a more risk averse.
0: And whilst not, whilst the, the future is is difficult to predict at the moment, um, I suppose my question is, what what um, what are your hopes for it? What do you think? Where do you think the gaps are? What do you want to see going forward in in children's programming? Whether that's certain. Uh, platforms or styles or if there's just a particular show that you're like oh that could be a brilliant idea
1: I don't know <laughs> I think there's so much on offer for kids and young people and I I I suppose the things that I think are important just now two things I think are really important just now you know over the last couple of days we've seen the damage that unregulated platforms um can do to society um and so I think news and current affairs offers to young people in particular have never been more important, so you know we're doing f y i um conversations explainers um looking at sort of children's situations around the world and sort of reflecting back that back to young audiences that's really important, but I think something that does something similar for teen audiences so they that they know that there's somewhere that they can get trusted news and information from um rather than oh i saw it on insta or i saw it on twitter because there's a whole load of um inaccuracies i was nearly said a bad word then but i stopped <laughs> myself which is really good to um inaccuracies that are being peddled and i think it is detrimental to society i mean i think you know it places us in a very dangerous situation i think what's happening in the states at the moment you know we want truth we need the truth is out there as somebody once said on a tv program but um <laughs> but we need to be able to kind of go look that's where the truth um that's, that's a that's particular bugbear of mine and i also think over the coming years um you know we are going to see the real impact uh of the pandemic on the mental health of children and, and we are seeing it already i'm saying in the future we're seeing it already the impact of the pandemic on mental health of children and i i think um we need to find inventive ways to support children and young people through. The next few years, um, um, whether it's sort of content that sort of um, deals with their anxiety, supports, gives them coping mechanisms, um, you know, in a, in a nice, gentle way um, and sort of anything that kind of can help them feel better. And I would also include um, laugh out loud, comedy in that because i think we will need to find joy and laughter in our lives in every conceivable place we can over the coming years so those would be my two favorite things to watch out for
0: that is a really lovely point to kind of wrap up on more joy more joy we need more
1: joy <laughs>
0: <laughs> but before before we do um i just wanted to ask one last question um which was what was your favorite tv
1: program growing oh, up oh my god this is an easy one to answer <laughs> um so my one of my first earliest memories was sitting on my mum's lap watching the clangers in black and white oh the clangers so um what a joy for me when i was able to work with peter firmin and dan Post-Kate. Uh, bringing the clangers back and we, we don't think oh, of it as a no as way. a remake it was a continuation of the original series and um uh, all hail at the pink knitted overlords
0: <laughs> is all i can <laughs> say to
1: that what a joyful thing that was to um work with peter before he sadly left us um mm-hmm. and what an amazing crew um and also, <laughs> i also also got to work with um Maggie and Darren Pocock, who was working on CBB Stargazing at the time. So we got Maggie to do our um, uh, sort of, uh, I suppose, it was an information film about the little blue planet. So it was a tour on the Clanger planet. She um from the CBB's studio. She was looking through a telescope doing her uh, space scientist thing. Um, And the reason she did it was because the Clangers was the thing, was the programme that inspired her to look to the stars. And that's how she ended up becoming a space scientist. So I think if you're making children's programmes, always bear that in mind. There is no end to the importance of what you're showing and telling children because it can inspire them and shape the rest of their lives. It's important. Jackie,
0: thank you so much. um It's been fantastic to talk to you.
1: It's been. Great and I mean,
0: to... between having a Valentine's Day card from Joanna Lumley and having met the Soup Dragon,
1: oh. I feel like. Well, can I also share with you a secret <laughs> that not many people know? um I was also very kindly invited to um voice the uh, Space Whales. The Sky <laughs> Moose, the Sky Sky Moose. Rather, not the Space Whales. Sky was Sky uh, my mooing was deemed um, uh, good enough to feature in the Sky Moo episodes.
0: I mean, I hope that's on your CV. Which new
1: one? It should be, shouldn't it? It uh, should under special skills. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So that was a big pleasure of my life.
0: Oh, fantastic! Um, well, thank you, Jackie. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, one day when the pandemic is over, I will, I will see you again. <laughs> You have been listening to Even Baddies Wear Helmets. The podcast was hosted by me, Billy Collins, produced by Clodagh Chapman with music from Finlay Stafford and our lovely logo was designed by Lucy Tiller. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find us on social media at Even Baddies Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe, share, tell your mates. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.